Welcome back to another episode of the Homestead Connection podcast. We are in week three of our hunting podcast. This series has been so much fun. I love talking hunting. I'm joined today with Steph, who has been on the previous two podcasts about hunting. And today we've added Kylie. Kylie is a complete novice. She has never been hunting. She's new. So she is here as just a listening ear and to ask questions that maybe if you've never hunted before or you've never been around hunting or haven't grown up in a hunting family, maybe she can help bring some insight to that as well. So I'm super excited. Today's episode is going to be a little bit different. So we are taking it from the field to our kitchen. So I guess the first thing is when you're in the field, you get the field dress, right? So you get out there, you harvest your deer, you take your pictures, you say thanks to God, thanks for this animal. It's going to nourish our families. It's, you know, it's going to be delicious. So thank you. Then what? I am very fortunate that my husband loves to field dress animals. Can be kind of a dirty process. So, you know, you have to cut up, clean the deer out, get all the innards out. When you're doing that, you know, you have to be really careful because when you're cleaning any kind of animal, whether it's chickens or turkeys or whatever you are pigs even like any kind of animal that you are cleaning to eat you have to make sure that you're not going to puncture anything that's going to spoil your meat and so I guess the first thing you really want to make sure you're doing is paying attention to what you're cutting around right so you want to stay away from the intestines the stomach um, and the bowel area you want to be very careful when you're cutting in there because one little slip of your knife and it can turn your gutting experience from (laughs) easy a nightmare i just picture or if it was me i would take one of those huge long gloves that they use for like taking care of cows or whatever so it's like my whole hand up to literally my shoulders would be covered yeah and the kyle uses those sometimes um if it gets to be really messy, but they are super nice. They actually sell them as a gutting glove kit. I can buy them at my local fleet farm. I know fleet farms are not everywhere, but they are in the Midwest. Um, but any of your sporting goods stores, so they have like a regular, like surgical, like short wrist length glove. And then they have the long glove uh-huh. that comes up to your shoulders. So that way, you know, kind of keeps you clean, but they sell those. And I think they're we like two those. or $3 a pack. It's kind of nice to have. We have those in healthcare too. Yeah, you could just, yeah, anyways. (laughs) So I guess, you know, making sure that you're staying away from those areas is going to be really important because if you nick anything, it's going to get smelly really fast and you have to worry about what it's contaminating your meat. So once you get all of the entrails pulled out, you get everything out, you tip the deer over to make sure all like the blood is out, everything, and you're draining the deer. That's a time when you can go in and you can remove what kind of organ meat you would like. So there's people that will keep the heart. There's people that have kept liver. Do you drain the blood from the neck? Is that a terrible question to ask? I I know a little bit about no, no, no. draining from work. Yep. But um, is it all from the <laughs> neck? Sorry, that feels like such a terrible question to ask, but I really want to know. Nope, it's a good question. You can take care of deer in several different ways. I guess the way that we primarily do it is we have the deer laying down on its back. We cut up from the stomach. At that point, when you um, 
as long as you're having a good shot on the deer, a lot of times, a lot of that blood will fill the cavity oh, inside, right? Sense. So inside the rib cage, the blood will be in mm-hmm. there. As long as you have a good shot, if you, you know, if you get it right in the boiler, like right in the good vital area, a lot of that blood's going to be pumped in there. So once you're pulling those entrails out and then you tip the deer up and then it kind of all just drains out. Um, otherwise, sometimes people do then after they're gutted out, they will hang them up by mm-hmm. their feet like in a tree or off a bucket of a tractor or whatever. And then the rest will drain out like through the nose or however. Um, That's how we got ours anyway. We string them up in a tree. Yeah. See, and that's nice because like here in Minnesota, we have a law against you cannot load a deer in a motorized vehicle until it has been tagged and have has been gutted. So technically we're not supposed to move the on a moving vehicle until it's completely field dressed out. And so like technically we can't do that. So we have to do everything the manual right way until it's gutted out. Yeah. Well, so everybody is like a pulley in the tree. You can't do that. I think you could do it if you had a pulley, but I guess you know where we hunt, we, we maybe hunt the lazy way. Once we <laughs> find our deer, we'll maybe drag it to the nearest trail, bring the four wheeler back there with the tote of the otter tote on the back, load the deer, you know, like so that we. So you we don't, don't drag it all the way back to camp. <laughs> Not anymore. Nope. We we bypass that um, workout and we just yeah we got in the field and then load it up and bring it back to like our farmyard. Gotcha. So, yeah, we maybe take the lazy way out, I guess, or the smart way, whatever yeah, way you want to look like at it. I feel like that's lazy because hunting is such a process from start to finish that at the end, once you've finally spent the day trying to, you know, hunt whatever you're out there for, if there's an easier way to kind of wrap up the day or wrap up the – that's working smarter, not harder to me. Heck, yeah. That's exactly how I want to do it. <laughs> I guess. I don't know. <laughs> There's so many ways to do it, and there's a hundred ways to skin a cat, right? There's a hundred ways to hunt and hundred ways to do everything. So, you know, everybody does it differently with their own means. Like, you know, some people just can't. You're in a heavily wooded area or you're hunting on public land where you can't drive on. So there's tons of different um, situations that change the outcome and how things work. So it's one thing that I've never done during that time, but I want to do, it's influenced by Stephen Ranella from the Meat Eater podcast or the Meat Eater TV show. And that's actually taking the call fat. So around the entrails, there is like this spider web looking fat layer. It's really, really thin. Um, but he takes that and he'll cut it off and then he'll actually wrap his meat in that and cook it in that. And it's supposed to be this amazing delicacy that tastes delicious. And I've never done it, but I think this year I'm going to try to remember to grab it to try but otherwise we normally keep the hearts hmm. Steph do you keep any organ meat when you go the heart especially if it's your first deer you have to keep the heart <laughs> yes that's like tradition why I don't even know why but it's just a thing. I don't either like there's some <laughs> it's just a tradition yeah, I have no idea um there's actually some people this I've never done I will never do this i will never do this but there's some people that will actually take a bite out of it without being cooked like right no i can't do it it happens i see it like every year people doing it no i could never (laughs) it's not for me either but some people do it i guess not until you try it but i'm not trying it no 
if you keep the heart of the first deer though like do you just put it in the freezer or you just bring you it home it. and dispose of it or do you like cook it up like you know like if you're cooking up chickens and stuff you, you eat, eat it, it. <laughs> yeah okay i mean i get it yeah heart is actually super good it's just another muscle. yeah and like i've had heart like chicken and um you know like it, when you get the giblets from different chickens or like you know butchering our uh getting our chickens butchered we keep all those and stuff and have eaten it but it's just they're so small it's easy to kind of dismiss exactly what they are you know what i mean it's just they're just yep. these tiny little nuggets versus like an actual meaty organ yeah and like with the heart for us i guess we will make sure that and i've only done it once or twice um kyle's grandma used to make heart like every year um but i've seen some people this year and how I'm going to try it now. So they'll actually cut it into uh, heart steaks. So they cut it in between like the ventricles and then they clean off all of like the fatty tissue and the connective tissue on the outside. Then they break it open and they get rid of like all the ventricles and everything that you can see inside the heart to clean it up. And then you get like these two or three, I think, steaks out of them and they look delicious. That's interesting. I'd be interested to try that. Do you keep the liver... Or like, can you keep the liver of a deer? You know, people do beef liver. That's all the rage. We, I think we all take beef liver, yes. the three of us. Heart, or, um, deer liver, is that I would thing? think so. I've never kept a deer liver, Steph. We haven't either. Yeah. I'm sure you could. Yeah, I've never done it, but I'm sure you could too. I don't see why not. What's the difference? Yeah. Honestly, right, the deer yeah, probably eats 100 times better than a conventional liver that you would buy somewhere else so yeah grass-fed mm-hmm. deer liver i mean you know people who have their own freeze dryer just chop it up into little frozen pill-sized bits and swallow it down i don't know if that's for me though either i like my things in capsules me too <laughs> i can't do it i've seen it i can't do it no, me neither <laughs> so then i guess going from you know your field dressing so that's like you know your first big step after you harvest your deer from then Steph do you guys wait a couple days until you start quartering and then trimming and getting all of your cuts off or do you guys do that the same day um quartering we usually do the same well it depends um if we have a big enough cooler, we will wait. But if not, then we will quarter it up. That way we can split it up in the coolers on the way back from camp. Because where we hunt, um, if it's at the National Forest, it's like a three-hour drive um, back to home. And if we're taking it to someone to butcher, we have to wait on that as well. And if we're doing it ourselves, it's just a matter of getting home. But, I mean, we do a mix of quartering or just leaving it whole and then dealing with it all then. Um, but we do let it hang before we start really breaking it up into the different parts. Yeah, that makes sense. It's nice to have them hang. Um, I feel like they just get a little bit more tender when they hang a little bit longer too. And mm-hmm. we are very fortunate living in Minnesota that knock on wood most of our deer seasons it's cold enough where we can leave leave them hang and not worry about you know rotting and and temperature increases and things like that um but on the odd years where it's been super warm where the last few have been warmer than usual um my husband's uncle actually has a tapper trailer like from you know if you go to a 
an outside concert and they have like a beer tapping trailer where they pour, you know, tap beer out of. We actually have a refrigerated trailer. It's a tap trailer um, that we use for our deer. So we'll put our deer inside this cooler, essentially. And then on Tuesday after gun season or bow season or whatever, once you shoot it after gun season, typically is when we do it all as a group, um, we will bring them all in, skin them all, and then start quartering them and deboning all of our stuff that way. But we're fortunate enough that it's normally cool, so we don't have to worry about that. But in Texas, I know it's a little bit hard. (laughs) I have, so my dad was never a big hunter, but he hunted on and off over the years that I was growing up. And he would do a lot of pheasant hunting or quail hunting, deer hunting a couple of times. And there was one year that he brought home a deer and he let it hang in the garage. You know, it was like field dressed. He brought it back, let it hang in our garage. And the day or two that he was letting it hang, he skinned it. And then by the time he was done skinning it, it was like ready to like part out or whatever. And I was probably... 11 or 12 at the time I thought it was one of the coolest things you know I just watched the whole process of it but yeah it hung up in the in our garage basically just from the rafters of our garage and it was cold enough I you know I was in Minnesota at the time and it was cold enough just to let it hang for a couple days yeah no we (laughs) um if you listen to the episode with the husbands that was two episodes ago I think it was um Bo talked about his dad having the butcher kitchen And he has, I want to say he converted, I'm not going to go into detail because I know I'm going to have it wrong, but basically he has a (laughs) walk-in cooler um, and that is where everything hangs in the butcher kitchen, so... That is such a dream. Kyle talks about that all the time. He's like, I want a stainless like butchering setup and I want a walk-in cooler. And when we win the lottery someday, we're going to have this big, like elaborate situation. Like, I'm like, okay, someday, honey, that'll be, that's on our list. (laughs) Yeah. But it would be so nice. So, yeah. So then I guess when we go from, from skinning it and we get it in and we're going to start processing our deer, there's different things that you can keep and so there's your different cuts of meat right like if you go to the store you have your steaks you have different types of steaks you know your your sirloins and your rounds and all these different types you have um tenderloins you have back straps and roasts and stew meat and all of these things and i think that that can be really overwhelming for people because where does this all come from how do you find it on your animal this doesn't look like it looks at the store how do you break this down and so Yeah, I kind of want to talk about that because I feel like it can be intimidating a little bit. I think that it would just be helpful to hear about because the knowledge of some of that stuff, while you're talking about a deer, can be applicable in some ways kind of across the board with other animals too. Yes. I guess like some of my favorite cuts of meat. So you're looking in the cavity of the animal, right? So like you're looking inside in the rib cage right at the top in the middle right next to the spine there's gonna be two small little slivers of meat these little small slivers are my favorite part of a deer they're called the tenderloins and they are absolutely delicious um they are normally ate within a couple days because i never freeze them we just cook them up and go because they are just to die for Mm -hmm. um and so that's That is like my favorite little piece of meat right next to the ribs on the inside of the cavity. So that is like number one. If you don't take your tenderloins out, take them out. 
we joke in our hunting party that it's kind of a sin to leave them in. It sounds like it. It sounds like they must be harvested. (laughs) Yes, they're so good. But then if you go on the outside of the spine on the back, you're going to get your back straps. So when you have your back straps, you cut those off, you get a long chunk of meat. There's a few different ways you can handle those. I don't know, Steph, what you guys do, but we either chunk them up so we cut them in like thirds. So we have like basically like a loin, like a big chunk um, that you could, you know, roast or do whatever you want with smoke it. We smoked ours a few times. They're so good. Um, Otherwise, you can cut them into like rounds. So like round steaks. And we do that as well. That's what most of ours is done in is more of like the round steak style. Yeah, which is super good. Um, so those are like two. Oh, sorry. I was going to say how much meat, did, like, is did it end up being a lot of round steak? Like, is it a decent chunk of meat? Yeah. Depending you know, on how thick you cut them, you'll get, mm-hmm. I would say a, at least a dozen. If you cut them like an inch thick, I would say you're, well, it's gotta be oh. almost two dozen on a good sized deer yeah. back strap. And it also depends on how big the deer is. Yeah. Yeah, I would say if you're getting a good mature doe or a buck, you're at least looking at a good, what, 15 to 18 inches at least yeah. on a back strap. Like, it's a oh, good long okay. chunk of meat, maybe even longer. Um, yeah. If you're kind of inch thick. So if you really are doing inch long, yeah, then you really do have a couple dozen. Yeah, so it's a good amount, and then there's two of them. You know, okay, so you're doubling cool. it up on both sides. Yeah. So right, it's right. a good amount of steaks and it's nice, you know, package them up in fours or whatever your family size is and throw them in the freezer. It's slick and easy. It's a quick meal. Hmm. Or, or cube it up and can it. <laughs> yes. Yes. Canned venison. So darn good. I know we're going to talk about that here in a little bit too, because we all, well, Steph and I both love canned venison. I'm sure Kylie would do the same. I've had it before. I just haven't canned it, but I've had it. And it is, it was like just straight out of the jar, like room temperature. Good. Yes. So good. So, so good. Steph, do you have any other like favorite parts or cuts um, off a of deer? Um, that's probably our favorite is the steak portions. Yep. We like the we like to take roasts as well. Um, we like roasts in the winter time. I just actually made one just this week. Uh, it's not the winter, but it sounded really good. And um, <laughs> so we we do the roast too for like cuts of meat. Otherwise, we take a lot of the other stuff. We clean it up. We get the silver skin off. I guess Kylie, do you know what silver skin is? Oh yeah, nope, definitely. Because like oh, even when Nate probably. smokes like pork ribs or whatever we always peel that like layer of silver skin off yeah. you know the back of your ribs or you know whatever that connective tissue Perfect. yeah some people don't know so as i was just making sure yeah so you know clean all that off take all the tendons out all the fat and then we will um put it into a box and then we grind it and we make hamburger hmm so we take like the main cuts that we want, you know, um, some people will take the ribs and they will make ribs. Um, some people will keep chunks of like, I don't know if it's the flank area or whatnot, and they'll try to make bacon and different things that they can out of that. Um, everybody does things a little bit differently, but we basically keep the steaks, the roasts, um, and the tenders. And the rest we pretty much grind to use for other things or cube it up to can. 
So when you're doing that, are you grinding it yourself? Like Molly, you don't take it to a butcher to have them piece it out, turn it into like ground, ground deer or sausage or anything like that. You guys just do it all yourselves. Do you guys do it all yourselves too, Steph? We do it all ourselves. We, the last couple of years have done it. I say we've done it ourselves. Both dad loves doing it. And so he's done it. Um, but in past years, we have gone to a local butcher as well. So it just kind of depends on how backed up the butcher is and all that as well. Because And that's super true. Hunting season is busy. <laughs> yeah. And they fill up fast with, you know, tons and tons of deer. And then they don't have time to get it in. And that's so mm-hmm. true in our area. So, like, with COVID, when COVID hit... Um, a lot of locker plants weren't taking in wild game. Like they weren't doing it. Interesting. And there was actually a butcher. Yeah. There was a meat locker guy. So he was a butcher that actually started hosting classes on how to break down your own wild game because nobody could get mm-hmm. in to get their deer processed. And there's a lot of wanton waste. Like nobody was able to get their deer butchered. They didn't have the means to do it themselves. The deer basically went to waste they went to the dump or whatever Mm -hmm. and he was trying to combat that and so he did classes for people which i thought was genius super great idea um and just turn those people to be way more self-sufficient like talk about being able to do it yourself i wish that so we get all of our beef and pork from local butchers and nate and i comment frequently a couple times a year when we're getting meat you know picked up um or picking up meat is that being a butcher is becoming almost like a lost art or a lost skill. And Nate is super interested in learning. If people offered a class or we have a couple friends that hunt kind of casually, not to the level of your guys' families, you know, or experience or whatever, but there's not a lot of people learning to butcher. And he would be so interested in taking a class like that, you know, even if it was for a wild game, because the principles that you learn can be applied to, like I said earlier, so many different animals. Yeah. yeah, it's just a larger or a smaller scale, right? Like you're looking at a pig and you're a little bit smaller on some size. Then you look at a cow and it's like three times the size. So it's the same thing, just a different scale. Yeah. It'd be cool. So Molly, It'd be do nice. y'all do do y'all do any sausages or do you just grind it up for burger? We so we do both. So we will do a lot of burger because we go through burger like crazy. Um, but we have done like breakfast sausage so we'll do um we normally buy like the mixes for that um and sometimes our local Mm -hmm. butcher shops will actually sell you like their mix and then you can just add it in at your at your house when you do it and so we do that a lot um so we've done breakfast sausage we actually do summer sausage um brats brats is probably one of my favorite things to make um what other jerky snack sticks that kind of stuff um Mm -hmm. so we kind of just make it with everything you know what we can yeah we do the same i know the sizes of the deer vary of course you know just doe versus buck versus the age of them or whatever but when you're butchering your deer how much meat do you guys normally walk away with like how many pounds of meat do you usually walk away with honestly i don't know if i've ever gotten a very accurate count um like if you're ta- I don't know with all the steaks and the roasts and stuff that we take out I've never you know put that into a number but I would say ground you're probably looking at a good 
25-ish, 30 pounds at least for like an average deer um, for what we do. And then, you know, with our roasts and our steaks and everything else that we take out, that obviously equates for a lot of other meat. Interesting. I would be interested. And I could weigh under. If you should, for my sake, if anything, pay attention this year when you get a deer. I just think it's so interesting. I will do that. You figure the so I, I this is just the way I think. Not all the time, but in a lot of ways. And I've shared this in other podcast episodes and stuff where it's like I want to know what the cost of everything is, like the cost you put into it versus like what you get out of it. And not that it's all about like monetary gain or whatever, but still just for the sake of sheer curiosity, you know, the cost of the tag, the cost of time, whatever, resources, etc. It would just be interesting to me and maybe others, I don't know. And maybe other people do that to see what it all shook out to be in the end just for fun you know it doesn't take away from the experience at the time but i yeah i think it'd be interesting i've never actually done that for myself and i think a cost breakdown would be really interesting and so stay tuned later this fall and wish me luck to make sure i get a deer but let's do a cost breakdown especially with the way the trends with like meat are going and resources obviously the economy has been nuts and the prices of meat have just skyrocketed and with you know what we're hearing it's just going to continue to climb climb and climb for our family that makes us want to look towards hunting and being more self-sufficient because that would that just is so much cheaper than even having to buy you know meat elsewhere you know we're fortunate we don't have to buy from the grocery store anyways but even where i'm at you know ground beef is almost nine dollars a pound at the grocery store which is insane isn't that crazy it's insane Mm -hmm. Shoot a deer and grind it, it up. I'll have that instead. <laughs> yes. And it's so good. So good. I guess another thing that we, I, I should rephrase this. Another thing that I did this last deer season was I saved some of the leg bones. Um, and I made bone broth for the first time. Venison bone broth. And I hadn't seen a lot of people do it. I looked and looked and looked online to see if people do it. Um... And I didn't find a whole lot on it. And I did it, and it turned out really good. Did it? Because I have been debating on if I want to do it. Because I want to say that I searched on it, and there were mixed things as to whether you should or shouldn't. So I haven't yet. Do you remember what any of the cons were? I don't remember what the cons really were. Maybe it was just that people hadn't done it. I don't even know. Do you remember? I feel like in theory, it's a really, really good idea. Yeah. You have this animal that's eaten so purely its whole life. And I, I don't, I don't know what the deal is. I I just know that there was not a lot of people doing it. I didn't find a lot of information on it. And I feel like that makes you skeptical too, because you're not seeing a ton of information right at your fingertips. And so that makes a person nervous when you don't have like in an information heavy society, when we don't have that information, it kind of makes you question and wonder why um and so i think that might have been part of my hesitation before doing it and i ended up making it last year yeah and it turned out really really good i made i think it was six quarts of venison bone broth last year and did you can it up yep i canned it up i've used it we've been fine haven't had any issues knock on wood that it all went well so 
I don't know. I don't know why it's not something that people do. And maybe that's this year is going to be the year of Venice and bone broth. I don't know. Let's make it a thing. Yeah, it's it was good. I used it in making a lot of stuff. I use it a lot for like soup bases um, and things like that. I also put it in with my rice when I'm making rice. So it worked worked really well. It does have a more gamey smell and flavor from Wild Game. Um, but it still was good. So hmm. I liked it. Did it get really thick? Uh, not really. No, it didn't get like, you know, you look at some and it gets super gelatinous and like very like jello-like. This didn't turn that mm-hmm. way. It was still pretty watery, which was fine. Yeah, but um, yeah. yeah, it was good. Who knows? Maybe this year will be different, but that's how mine turned out last year. And then I guess the only other part of a deer besides like if it's a it's a buck and like you're gonna mount it or you're gonna save the antlers and things like that the only other part of the deer that is a tangible part that you could do something with is your hide so there's people who will go and tan their hides they'll use them for decoration they will tan them and use them for mittens or slippers or whatever um or like in our area and what we typically do is we turn ours back in um we have DNR drop boxes where we can turn our hides in. And in Minnesota, we once you turn them in and you go to like, it's normally at a gas station. I know. Uh, you go into the gas station and say, hey, I just turned in three hides. <laughs> and they will give you like a pair of gloves or whatever. So like in return for giving them back or turning them in, um, they can give you like this small little incentive, I guess, um, which works pretty well. That's so weird. <laughs> I'll have to send you a picture of the Dropbox this fall. <laughs> okay. I'm just, do you guys have those like Goodwill drop sites? Like if not like an actual Goodwill, but it's like a little tiny clothing like clo- stand yeah. in like the corner the of a donation parking lot buttons. where you can just like open a door and shove your bag in. That's what I'm picturing. You just like drop these hides That's in basically there. what oh. it is. With a big orange sign that says Minnesota DNR and it's like blaze orange with a deer in the middle of it. That's what you drop them in. Open the lid and put them in. It sounds a little sketch. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> but I'm I'm not don't knock it. Like the gloves that you get are actually kind of nice. Like my, my husband uses them. <laughs> so it's not like it's some chintzy like $2 <laughs> pair of gloves. Like it's actually pretty good. Uh, that's funny. Do you do anything with your hide stuff or do you just dispose of them? Is it legal to dispose of them? Um, I don't even know. So I've never heard of anywhere to dispose of them, like donate them or whatever. Um, Our daughter's buck from this last year is the only hide that we have saved completely. Um, Bo has two shoulder mount deer, which of course you need part of the hide for that, but I guess the taxidermist just kind of disposes of the rest of it. I don't know what happens to them. They're probably incinerated. Yeah, I'm sure that's what happens with the ones in the boxes, too. They go get incinerated somewhere. You know, there's lots of parts of the deer that you can use. And I think it's one thing that's really cool about hunters and people who hunt um, is that we use and utilize almost every piece that we can. I feel like it just keeps 
really old traditions alive too. And I know you guys have touched on this in the podcast episode with the husbands and then the one from last year, even a little bit was talking about public land versus private land. And you guys covered so much stuff in that podcast episode. In both of those episodes, you guys have touched just a little bit on how hunting keeps tradition alive. And when you're talking about breaking down the deer and knowing how to butcher the deer, how to dispose of it or what to do with the hides, all of that stuff is very traditional skills that you're keeping alive either for yourself or for your families. And you are so mindful of using the entire animal because so much goes to waste, like in a commercial setting, you know? And so it's just neat to see how the intention behind the whole, like, it's just neat to see the intention behind the entire hunting process. It's yeah, I can still remember. I don't know how old I was. I was young, but I still remember Mm -hmm. learning the anatomy of a deer at a very young age and knowing what a heart looked like, knowing what a liver looked like, knowing what the lungs looked like. Like I would have never known that had I not gone hunting and seen a field dress happen of a deer. Like I would have never known until how, you know, when I took what anatomy and physiology in college, like when would have I actually learned what these things actually look like and like get the hands-on experience. Sure. Um, so it's really cool. And I, that's a memory I will never forget. Absolutely. And when you think about it from like a homeschooling perspective stuff from like your family with homeschooling your daughter and stuff, like that's some yeah. of the best lessons ever. Yeah. It's the things that you remember. It sticks in your brain. So it's pretty cool. I have one thing that I want to kind I don't know if this is going to fit anywhere, but I did want to warn <laughs> um, anyone who gets a buck, don't drag it by the hind legs, especially <laughs> during the rut. <laughs> no, stuff. Yeah. So. There's these things called glands on their back legs. <laughs> And they're terrible. They are the most foul-smelling thing. And pee on them. Yes. It's so smelly. Very, very smelly. Stuff coming in hot with the good stories. Yeah. Yeah, they're very... So just be careful. Don't touch them. There's actually people that will cut them off, like, after they've killed a deer, and they'll hang them in a tree. Because bucks... Mm -hmm will come in the area to chase a hot doe, right? A doe in heat. And if the buck smells another buck in rut, a dominant buck, they will try to find where that deer is. And so it kind of is an attractant, essentially, during the rut to get other bucks in the area. So it's used as like um, like a bait almost to get other deer to the area? Kind of, yeah. Kind of, yeah. Yep. Interesting. I mean, it so, makes yeah, sense. They, they stink. And that smell, like, once you touch it, it doesn't go away. Like, you're going to have to wash your clothes how many times until it goes away. It stinks. <laughs> like, leave it outside oh, for God. six months. <laughs> until next hunting season. Oh, yeah, I just had my clothes in the line. No big deal. <laughs> Kylie, we need to get you in the deer stand. I mean, I'm familiar with goats, so I feel like I can, like, in a way, understand what you're talking about, you know? Yeah. 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 But instead of the beard, it's the hind legs. Hmm. Nasty. Nasty. Circle of life, it's like a thing. It happens. But, (laughs) yeah. We have a buck that lives kind of in our backyard, and he's in rut right now. He's making those, like, what is it even? Like, it's a call. It's like a big 
noise. I don't even know what it's called. A grunt? Yeah. Is that what it's called? A grunt? It sounds like he's sneezing and coughing at the same time. And he does it like right in the edge of our woods at the back part of our property. We hear him all the time. And he's huge. So there's a grunt? Uh There's a grunt and there's a snort wheeze. Snort wheeze. That is exactly what I'm hearing. Yeah. Hmm. So there's those two sounds that you'll hear coming from a buck. And that snort wheeze, that sound. Yeah, that's definitely... It's fun. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you hear that sound and you're sitting in the quiet woods and you hear that, every hair on your body just stands. You're like, ooh, what's coming? And it's normally a good thing. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's a fun sound to hear in the mm-hmm. woods. Yeah, it's cool. Even just like when I'm outside doing whatever, I've heard it a couple of times. And it's amazing how loud it is. But anyways. Yeah. And I'd be surprised. I mean, it's very possible, but I'd be surprised if the deers actually, or the bucks are in rut right now. Normally it's a little bit later in the fall, but you never, sometimes you have those outliers that are there, but they can be noisy anytime. Which is kind of crazy. Yeah, ours usually isn't until November. Yeah, sweet November. Yeah, and that's right when our gun season is in Minnesota. And so it's right in the rut, which gets to be sometimes... The deer just don't think with their heads and they think with other things. And uh, a lot of deer get shot. Typical. Typical. <laughs> Typical. <laughs> I try to keep that as PG as possible, but you guys get the gist. Yes. <laughs> so, anyways, moving on with more uh, informational tips here. <laughs> We're going to move into preserving. <laughs> Yeah, this is what I want to talk about. I, want, I mean, I like talking about all of it, but I want to hear about preserving because because everybody's in the headspace of preserving yes. right now. So I know we've touched on a few of these things already, but there's three main types that I can think of of preserving your meat, right? So you have canning, you have freezing, and you have dehydrating. There's three ways that most people have access to, right? So mm-hmm. Steph and I have talked about canning venison. First thing you got to know, and I'm sure majority of you guys have heard this or know this, but if you are canning meat, it needs to be pressure canned. It can't be water bath canned for safe canning. It needs to be pressure canned. So that's tip number one. Like my biggest tip I can give you with (laughs) canning meat is it needs to be pressure canned. Um, And I guess I raw pack my jars. Steph, do you raw pack or do you hot pack your jars? I raw pack. It's the easiest thing. Raw packing, which means the meat is raw. You just cut it up in cubes, shove it in the jars. I want to say it's like an inch of headspace. Um, Put it in a cold canner. Everything warms up at the same time. You process it and it's done. And you get roughly a pound of meat per pint jar. Yes. And it's so good. And, And the part that I think people don't understand is you don't need to put water in it it's literally oh, your meat some people will put salt in it some people put bullion cu- cubes some people put garlic or onions you don't have to put anything you can just put your meat in there put the lid put the ring in the canner it goes like when once you pressure can it all yep. of that juice from the meat will actually then just sit in the jar and you will have juice in there so when you're cooking it and you're doing something you have broth already made inside the jar and use it like so you're using the broth Mm -hmm. like i'll use it i'll take my i'll drain out the juice from the jar and i'll put it into like gravy and then i'll cook the meat on the side and i'll make like mashed potatoes gravy and 
venison or whatever and it's just a almost a full meal in a can like you need to add one or two things and you're done yeah but just like that sounds so good it's so good i'm so ready i'm out of canned venison right now and i'm so ready to have it back how much do you normally get like how many pint jars or did how many pint jars did you get last year i don't even know and it depends because I did stew last year too, so I didn't just can, uh, like can meat. I canned stew in jars, and that we went through like crazy too. So I don't have a really good number of how many I ended up doing because I gave a lot away for Christmas. Mm-hmm. Actually, I made canned stew and I gave it away as gifts, which maybe was silly. That's actually a really good idea. What a thoughtful gift! It was a lot of time. It really was. I mean, okay, so you're processing your meat, right? So I believe, don't quote me, but I believe it is, what, 75 or 80 minutes or something like that for pint-sized jars. And quart-sized jars is like... 75 sounds right. Let me look. Steph's getting out her canning book right now, her recipe book. But, I mean, if you think about the time that you actually put into it, Complete Guide to Home Canning. Complete Guide to Home Canning. Oh, yes, I need that. This I is the one we have a link that. to for the free one. Nice. Oh, ac- awesome. Cool. Yeah. So on our resource page at thehomesteadconnection.com, we have tons and tons and tons of free resources. And Steph in- was so intentional about making sure that was a free resource on our resource page. So head on over there. You'll find it for free. It's a good one. But the amount of time that you put into pressure canning it like that and to give it as a gift, it's like, I spent a lot of time and money on this thing. Like, if you converted your time into money, like, yeah, this was a good gift. Absolutely. Plus, jars aren't cheap either. No, but I did tell them all because it was family members. I said, you know, if you want more yeah. next year, I would appreciate the jars back. <laughs> this is like a, a recycle program. There's nothing wrong with that. Let me know what you want for Christmas by turning your jar back in. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so it is... It's 75 minutes for pints and then 90 minutes for quarts. And, and when you're like making stew, so like, you know, I had carrots and potatoes, celery, onions, all the other things that go in with stew, um, you have to can at the meat or the longest item in the jar that needed to be canned. You have to can it at that level, right? So I couldn't put it in and say, oh, I'm only, only going to can it for X amount of minutes because it's potatoes. No, you need to can it for the max amount of time. So each of those jars or each batch of those jars had to be canned because they were port for 90 minutes. Um, mm. But it worked really well. And it's really, really good. So, and I know some people also uh, pressure can uh, like ground meat. So like they will grind it. And then I believe with ground, you actually have to fry it up so yeah you or you can like pack. far cook it where it's starting to brown majority brown with a little bit of pink at least for beef and stuff you know but it has to be like 75 percent of the way cooked or whatever before you put it into hot pack it into the yeah. yeah and the reason with that is because if you don't it's gonna clump and then it's not all gonna process correctly yeah and then you'll have the ground meat ready to go. right and like you can have areas that are more dense yeah, absolutely. Huge safety risk there. Makes sense having to pre pre um pre cook it. Do either of you guys dehydrate your venison? The only time that we dehydrate is when we're making jerky. So I don't just dehydrate, you know, whatever. But we make a lot of jerky, and we like to make strip jerky and ground jerky. Um, and so we use our dehydrators a lot because um, jerky doesn't last very long. What is ground jerky? 
hold on. You said oh, what? Okay. What so, <laughs> so, okay. We, this is what we call it, I guess. It's probably the same thing for everybody in just different terms, but we will have like our ground. So like we grind up the venison, we mix our spices in there, we put it into a jerky gun and then it like you squeeze the trigger and it like kind of like a caulk gun, you know, and you squeeze it and it shoots mm-hmm. out little strips of jerky and it's just ground jerky. And then so like the sticks, but it's not in the casing. So it's like dehydrated it's slam. It's not in a casing. That sounds real old school, like old okay. world style eating. It's good. It's so good. Um, I will have to, when we make our next batch, I will have to make a reel or something to show you guys what I'm talking about, that I'm not crazy. Um, because it's a thing. You can still buy jerky guns on the market today. <laughs> um, but then the other thing we do is we slice our jerky. So like, you know, you have a roast or a knuckle or whatever, and we just slice it thin and then season it and then lay it out and dehydrate it that way. So that's the two types of jerky we make. You can make like snack sticks where you put them inside of a casing and then smoke them. Um, but dehydrating, that's what we do. Yeah, that's like beef sticks. Yes. Right? Yes. You guys have never heard of ground jerky? Never heard of ground jerky. Is all deer meat called venison? Or just a certain cut of it? All. I see. So you guys can it and then you dehydrate it. Do you also freeze venison? Yes. We do. Yeah, so like all of our steaks, our tenders, our back straps, our ground, all the stuff that we, you know, package when we are processing it, we'll throw that all in the freezer. And so I guess one thing, you know, I know Steph talked about this and I'll let her talk about it, but like at the end of your year before deer season, what do you do with your venison that is still in the freezer? Mm, That's a really good question. I can it. <laughs> we usually go through the ground fast enough, like the burger. We usually go through that fast enough to where I really don't have anything to can up. It's our steaks. Um, which Same. This year I've tried to stay on top of that. <laughs> so we'll see how much we have. But normally um, by the time someone gets one and it's ready to go in the freezer, I'm pulling out the previous year's canning it up, getting it out of the freezer to make room for whatever we're going to get the next Mm -hmm. year. I've never done that. I've haven't had that much leftover venison to do it that we just like cycle it back through. Um, But this year I do have some, I have some ground um, that I haven't used up. And so I'm definitely taking a page out of Steph's book here and I'm going to can that up before season. I believe venison technically is safe in the freezer for up to a year or a year better, depending on how you package it. I know, like they say, pork is should only be for like six or nine months in the freezer. Um, but venison, we've been good up to a year. So then, you know, by the next season, if you have any left, if you can it up, you're going to have it shelf stable. Two years? Oh, I don't is know it? exactly what it is, but I know that we've had some fine for up to two years. In a deep freezer, a chest deep freezer. Are there portions of the deer that you guys tend to avoid or like not necessarily avoid, but everybody has their favorite cuts of beef or pork that they reach for first. And obviously you guys talked about what you love, those tenderloins and back straps and stuff like that. But is there a portion of the deer you guys tend to kind of avoid or, you know, just let set longer? 
honestly one of the parts that we have a hard time cutting off because it's a lot more cleaning like with the silver skin the fattiness and stuff like that is like when you get into the neck meat it gets just a little bit more tough and just a little harder to clean but i actually took all that this year cleaned it up a little bit and then i sliced that into one inch cubes and i canned it and it turned out phenomenal like i was very happy with it and so that's one of the cuts that like was always like dreaded and didn't want to deal with um but doing it for canning this year was really nice that's a good idea i might have to do that that's interesting i didn't even think about the neck what about like stuff that's already been processed that's like you've you've butchered it it's packaged it's in your freezer what ends up sitting in your freezer the longest after you've like butchered it all and you know you're getting to the end of the year what are you like reaching for to can up now this year for me this year it's ground because we had a bunch of it last year actually i do have which i may end up using that within the next month or so but i do have a roast from last year that i haven't done yet but for the most part, in past years, it's it's been our steaks, not the like the backstrap. It's the tougher areas um, of steak. Do you butterfly those out, or do you just all make them round steaks? Um, I think we just make them all round steaks. Yeah, we've we do some with butterflies too, and those are probably our quickest to go. Do you guys, I I should ask, do you guys ever mix pork or beef or pork fat or any other kind of like fatty um, meat in with your venison when you're doing stuff? When we're doing the ground, um, yes, we, you can go to the local grocery stores, like the butcher counter and ask for whatever kind of leftover fats that they have um, and add it in because venison is so such a lean meat there's hardly if any fat in it so you're not making a burger patty out of that unless you add a whole bunch of fat (laughs) yeah we do the same thing as we will add especially into our ground um stuff not always but a lot of times we do um especially if we're making you know brats or for making summer sausage or breakfast sausage some of those things that you're adding in your flavorings and putting it into casings or whatever um we always make sure to add fat what are i don't know if this is something you were already thinking about talking about molly but i what are some recipes that you guys use like or make frequently with your venison or do you just sub venison for pretty much anything you would beef yeah, it's definitely a trial and error, but a lot of times you can go and talk to your local butchers or if you buy like the prepackaged um, seasoning kits, a lot of times on the back it'll say we want 80% venison, 20% pork. So I guess like as far as recipes like you were asking, um, and I'm going to just kind of speak, I guess, for venison right now, but we sub it with literally everything. Um, a lot of people especially like me when I was pregnant, I couldn't handle the smell of venison when it was cooking. Like it has a different smell. And so, you know, my biggest tips for when you're cooking it is make sure that you have your ventilation on if you're, if you have a hard time with it. Cause I know a lot of people do. Some of my favorite things to do is um, like make Salisbury steaks. I love Salisbury steak with venison. Um, and then um, roasts and we, um, We'll smoke like we will chunk our back straps into thirds and we'll have this big chunk of meat and we will 
you know, cover it in seasonings and whatnot and throw it on the smoker for how many hours. And that turns out super, super mm-hmm. yummy. Um, just a bunch of different things. But like I said, if you're doing it for people that don't know, seasonings and marinades are going to be your best friend. I did not grow up eating wild game. Um, I've only been eating it for the last 13 years. That's a decent chunk of time. And 13 years. I, I mean, that's not like a little <laughs> drop in the pan. It's a third I of your life. Say, more, than, more than a third of your I life. I know. <laughs> but I can honestly say that I have never had a gamey taste or a gamey smell from any of the deer that I have cooked. I just feel like anything. it smells more irony. Never. Like there's more of an iron smell to it or something from the times I've cooked it. I like the tip of if you're taking it to people that you know have never had wild game or have made comments of they will never eat wild game (laughs) to put it in and don't tell them. And it's funny to watch them scarf it down. And then they're like, man, this is so good. And you're like, oh, really? Yeah, that was, that's deer. That's not cow. <laughs> yes. That is like my favorite thing in their look. When you tell them they're like, you're, they're horrified. They're like, what? Most people know that if I'm bringing something that has meat in it, it's more than likely deer. <laughs> yes. Same. People just assume now at this point in my life, like it's coming and it's wild game of some sort. Mm-hmm. Um, I have two like recipe kind of things that I can share with you just like verbally here that are super easy. One's for turkey and one is for ven- or venison, goose, duck, whatever you want. My favorite's with goose, um, but it's called a coke roast and it's not healthy, but it's super good. So Got, got your crock pot. You throw a couple goose breasts in there and you take a can of Coke, a cup of ketchup and a cup of brown sugar. I know not healthy at all. Kylie's face right now is just appalled at what I'm saying. Put in your slow cooker all day. I'm laughing because you said goose breast. <laughs> I've never heard like, chicken breast is so commonplace. But then here you say goose breast. I'm like, whatever. Okay. What else child. Keep going. <laughs> but yeah, so can of Coke, <laughs> cup of ketchup. Uh, and a cup of brown sugar, onions, garlic, whatever else you want to add into it, put it in your slow cooker all day. And it is just a very tender, flaky, um, kind of like pulled meat. And then we'll just throw it on a bun with some cheese or whatever. And it is one of my favorite um, ways to eat goose. But we do it for deer, whatever as well. Um, and then my other new favorite, I just did this this year for the first time, was for turkey. And so um, I soaked my turkey, my wild turkey, in um, buttermilk. And then I added a little bit of chili powder into the buttermilk. And then I let it soak for like 12 to 18 hours. And then I took it out and I rolled it into bacon and I put it on a toothpick through it. And then I made a mixture of chili powder and brown sugar. And I rolled like the, the bacon and turkey chunks in there and then I grilled it and oh my gosh we actually had it at my daughter's birthday party and everybody devoured it like I hardly got any of it so I will not make it for a large group again but I will make it for our family because it was so good (laughs) that sounds both of those sound super good like my family would absolutely love both of those recipes 
Yeah, and they're and super easy. easy. Yes. Yeah, there's nothing to it. Like those are two recipes. Like what is it? Three ingredients for the one. Okay, four including the meat, and what four including the meat on the other one. So it's simple, and it's stuff you have at your house normally. Yeah. Love that. Love that. I'm here for simple. Keep yeah. it simple. Keep it tasty. The most recipe style that I could do would be just chicken fried deer steak. <laughs> so you just beat the steak, like get it all even and flat and then like tenderize it, I guess. It would be the correct verbiage. Um, so tenderize it. <laughs> Uh, and then you, some people don't do the egg. I do the egg, um, dip both sides in the egg, dip it in your flour mixture. We do flour, salt and pepper. Um, I do paprika and, uh, sometimes I'll do garlic powder, um, all in there. You gotta do it in a cast iron skillet. That's the key. Cast yes. skillet with hot oil. Anyway, cast. Get both sides breaded. Stick it in that cast iron. Listen to it sizzle, and it gets a beautiful golden brown. That I pretty much so exclusively good. cook with cast iron because it's just everything is so much better in cast iron. Yeah, it's definitely superior. It cooks I better, agree. cleans better. We make pheasant that way too, where we will like chicken fry it or whatever you just called it where we bread it and throw it in oil and eat it that way and it's so good Mm -hmm. i've learned so much from all of the hunting podcast episodes i have a very limited knowledge base very limited resources not a lot of friends that do major hunting and i've enjoyed listening to the podcasts that you've done already i've learned a lot from this podcast it's just been really interesting and honestly very inspirational i know it's time consuming it's a labor of love and it can be kind of expensive you know, I guess if you like to get started, but at the same time, it's so worth it. And it's so interesting to hear your guys' experiences and how it's truly like enriched your families and enriched the the flow of your homes and the food that you're eating. Yeah. And I also, I think it's really cool. Like, I mean, Steph and I are here, but we've talked with uh, you and we've talked with Brenna this, the past couple weeks and in such a male-dominated industry and sport, um, to be able to have women get together to talk about hunting and our viewpoint and how we experience hunting, I think is super important because there's so many women that have hunted for many, many years that are in hunting right now or that are going to grow up and want to hunt, that it's important for women to be able to have a voice and have a say in what we're doing because it's not just men that are out there hunting. It's women too, women, kids. You know, and I, I want my daughter to be able to know that that's okay. Yeah. And so I love to be able to have the camaraderie between women in the hunting world. Anybody who loves to hunt, cooks for hunting, whatever it is. And so I think that it's just inspiring. And I hope that we're able to inspire mm-hmm. you if you're listening and you are a female and you're like, oh, this sounds cool. I could go hunting with the guys. Heck yeah, you can go. <laughs> like there's no one saying that you can't. And if yeah, nobody's there to bring you. I guarantee you find another woman out there. You say, hey, I want to learn how to hunt. And she's going to take you onto her wing and say, let's go. Yeah. Because that's what we do. That's so cool. And that's the way it should be. So even if you're jumping in to get your feet wet, just joining someone on a hunting trip, you don't have to carry any kind of weapon. You don't have to kill anything. Just 
put your clothes on. Don't put any perfume on. <laughs> um, <No>. but, <laughs> put your clothes on. Go out in the woods with him and just <laughs> take it all in. Pay attention. Take mental notes of what they're doing. They will explain things to you. Um, yeah. I mean, just get out there. Yeah. Hmm. Just get your boots on the ground. Just go. It's fun. Well, ladies, it has been super fun chatting with you about processing, preserving, um, and preparing wild game. I know we are pretty venison intensive here, but if you have specific questions about other types of game, um, feel free to reach out to us on Instagram or over at the connection place. And we'd be happy to chat about different recipes or different preparation, um, styles for said, whatever kind of wild game you're using. So, um, feel free to reach out to us. We'd love to continue the conversation more until next time. We'll see you later. Bye.